0: Verse 26, we read this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like, a man scattered seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. We've been talking over the last, I guess, since the beginning of the year about dreaming and doing. What we've said is everybody has a deal. Some people call it God's will for their life, plan, purpose, destiny. I don't care what you call it. We're calling it a deal. God has a deal for us, and our responsibility is to discover what that deal is and then to do it. God determines it, we discover, and then we do. And we looked at this parable in Mark and said, that's kind of the way this thing works. There's a seed, that's the deal that God puts in our heart. In our heart, it's kind of like soil. We looked at the parable of the sower a couple of weeks ago and said, our heart is like soil and this thing that he plants in us hopefully will take root and grow and flourish, but sometimes it doesn't. Remember, we planted all these seeds in these vases and we said, Jesus said, some people's heart is hard. It's like this. There's a crust on it and so the seed never penetrates into the soil. It just sits there on top and eventually it comes and gets snatched away. And we said, sometimes we can get hard hearts and it's sin and we talked particularly about sexual immorality and unforgiveness and said those two things tend to harden our heart and the only way to break up that hard ground is through is to repent Just to to acknowledge that what we're doing is wrong and to ask God to forgive us and that will remove this layer of crust which will then allow God's word to get into us. We also said that there what Jesus said there's rocky soil. We said that was shallow. You can kind of see that here. We planted seeds in it, and Jesus says the seed will take root, and it will grow, but when tough times come, it withers and dies. And so you can't see this from where you're sitting, but there are roots coming down from all of these seeds, and they're hitting the rocks, and they're not even in the dirt anymore in some places. The rocks are getting in the way. And we said for a lot of us, this is shallow soil, as if our roots aren't deep in the Lord, particularly when it comes to trusting Him. If we don't have deep roots in Him, when, he does, when stuff happens that we don't get, we'll tend to pull back instead of pushing in. And that's, we're going to wither and die. Because opposition will come. It's going to come. They're gonna, we we said it here many times. God's going to disappoint you. Mark it down. He will. There's going to be times where you don't get what he's doing. I'm not talking about the enemy at this point. I'm talking about God. There are going to be times where you, he frustrates you. You don't understand what he's doing in your life. And if you don't have deep roots where you really get him and you trust him, when those times come you're going to wither and die. We also said Jesus says that there's weedy soil. Some soils planted on weedy ground. We said it was crowded. There's I think this is the good plant but I'm not positive. So there's the seed gets planted and it can grow but Jesus says it can't really flourish because there's all this other junk going on. And this stuff chokes it out. And he said these weeds were the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things and the worries of this life. And we said if this is us the only thing you can do is pull those weeds out. You can't trim them. You've can't. You got to pull them out or they will continue to grow back and they're going to choke out your deal. They're going to choke out what God wants to do in your life. And I said, I thought this was a lot of us. I thought a lot of us, particularly where we live, we live here and our hearts are crowded with a bunch of other stuff. And the stuff isn't necessarily sinful stuff. It's just stuff. And it tends to crowd out what God wants to do in our life. Remember, we filled out those cards if you were here maybe four or five six weeks ago where we wrote our deal down. And, one, and I told you to tell me how confident you are in a 1 to 10 and how engaged you are in a 1 to 10. I think a lot of us, we're not that engaged. And one of the reasons we're not that engaged in our deal is because we got so many other things going on in our life. we got to get rid of some of that stuff. And then we said, ultimately, this is what we want to be. This is good soil. And Jesus says that in good soil, the seed can is planted and take root and it grows and produces a crop 30, 60 or 100 times what was sown. So you're talking about an exponential harvest. And we said this is what we want to be. And our responsibility, we can't produce fruit. The seed produces fruit. Our job is just to cultivate the soil. It's to take responsibility for our heart. If there are places where it's hard, we need to break it up. If there are places where it's rocky, we need to have deeper roots where it's shallow. If there are places where it's weedy, We need to pull out the weeds so that there's space for what God wants to do in our life to grow. So we said that was our major responsibility, cultivating the soil of our heart. God's the one that produces fruit. So that's where we've been. And now let me take to the next thing. So after we get this deal in our hearts, and again, most of you on your cards, you are very confident. Yeah, I know what God wants for me. A lot of you knew that. Some of you don't. Just kind of stay with us. I don't want you to feel like you're getting left behind, but just stay with us. You feel like you know what your deal is, well what happens next? We have this banner here. The next thing is develop. I think if you're a horticulturist, the name the word is germinate, but for some reason that word sounded a little dirty to me. So we're gonna go with the word we're gonna go with the word develop. And during this stage, the seed is it's sending roots down and shoots up. So it's kind of like this. If you could see this, you can see there's these roots that are all in this. Dirt. The seeds are sending roots down and they're sending these shoots up. There's not a lot going on that's not very impressive. You can't tell if those are weeds or flowers. I have no idea what they are going to be. It's, there's not a lot to see at this point. But, but I think it's a very important stage in kind of getting into our deal. And I actually think it's where a lot of people stall. There's a lot going on, but it's going on under the surface and the stuff that's going on above the surface, honestly, is not very impressive. That is not winning anybody the Yard of the Month Club. It doesn't look that impressive. And so a lot of us, I think, when we're during this, during this development phase, we quit. We get frustrated. We give up. We think, God, we've missed it or God's missed us. We're, we're angry maybe even because things don't seem to be working out. We know our, we're 10 out of 10 on what we should be doing but we can't seem to really get into it. It almost seems like God is keeping us out of it. We, we take a step, and we step back, and we take a step, and the door's closed in our face, whatever. And we can give up, and we quit. And it's because we don't recognize what God is trying to do. If you read through the Bible, most of the people who kind of figured out what their deal is had some period of time where God almost kind of pushed pause and set them over here so that their roots could go deep. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, I'm going to push pause on all of this and try to, uh, fix something from a couple of weeks ago or maybe explain it a little better. Remember, I talked a few weeks ago and we're talking about our deal and I, I used a puzzle and said that, you know, our deal only has significance because it's part of God's bigger deal. And we said here in, in this church, we talk about the, the phrase that we use is community transformation. God has this picture for Marietta and Cobb County. There's a picture in his mind of what Marietta and Cobb County should look like. It doesn't look like that yet, but he's, he's doing something. He has a plan. He has a purpose for our community. He has a, there's a box top. We said, we used the puzzle as an analogy and said, God can see this box top. He knows what he's doing. We can't. We don't have that perspective, that vantage point, but he does. He can see this box top and that each of us, we said, we're kind of like a piece in the puzzle. And as we become more like Jesus and do our deal, then he's able to put us where we need to be. And that as more and more of us do our deal and more and more of us become like Jesus, then the puzzle begins to become, the picture becomes clearer. And we said at some point we think there'll be some critical mass where we'll actually be able to see what God's doing. We'll be able to see differences in our city and in our county. And that's ultimately what we're going for. It's not just that I can be this great piece. A puzzle piece by itself is irrelevant. It it, it has no purpose unless it's connected ...to a larger group. And so that's kind of what we said. I was thinking about that, and I thought there actually might be a better picture even. And I had this puzzle at home, and this is a puzzle of puzzles. There's 20 little Disney characters there, so you can pick the one that you like the best. I'm going to pick Winnie the Pooh and say, that's me. Actually, I'm going to pick Cinderella because it's already made. Don't get any ideas. I'm confident in my gender. So what we're saying is there are these 20 pictures here... And this whole puzzle becomes clear as you put together each of these 20 individual shots. So we're going to say this is me, and that this is me becoming like Jesus and doing my deal. And there are 11 pieces to this Cinderella snapshot. Do you have any idea how many possibilities there are for putting this together? There's only one final product, but different ways of putting these pieces together, different order that you can use laying them down. Any ideas? Anybody want to take a guess? How many different ways, combinations of putting these pieces together to get this picture? Let me find my number 39,916,800. 39 million ways of putting together these 11 pieces to make Cinderella. 39 million. You want to take a guess how many ways there are to put together this 170? You don't. We can't say the number. 725,741,562 with 298 zeros at the end. It's not even real. I don't even know what that is. That's how many different ways there are of putting together, ways you can order these pieces to get this. You always come up with the same thing. Ultimately, there's only one way they all fit together, but you can put, with Cinderella, I can put, this piece in first, and then this piece in second, and then this piece in third, and then this piece in fourth, or this first, and then this second, and then this third, and this... There's 39 million ways you can lay out eleven those 11 pieces, and there's whatever that other number is, 742 million with 298 zeros after it, ways that you can lay out these 170, and your life is how much more complicated than that? There are lots of ways of getting there, is what I'm trying to say. We're talking about stages, and we're talking about phases, but I don't want you to get locked in This is real rigid. It's not like going from first grade to second grade to third grade and you're either in first or you're in second or you're in third. It's much more organic than that. It's much more like this. There are big ideas and we all have to get them. And some of us, it looks linear. Step one, step two, step three. For others of you, you get this piece and then you get this piece. And what's frustrating is the pieces aren't touching. And you can't figure out how those things in your life come together. And that's when we can give up. But you have to trust that he's got the box top and that he can work all of that stuff together. There are lots of different ways of going to LA from Atlanta. There's interstates, there's back roads. You can go north, you can go south, you can go through the middle. Some of the ways are fast, some of the ways are slow, some are expensive, some aren't, some are on the interstate. It doesn't matter. Did you get to LA? And that's ultimately the question. Are you doing your deal? Like, is the picture here? Are you doing your deal? And there's 39 39 million ways and there's so many factors that play in and sometimes we can look around at other folks and get frustrated because they seem to be ahead of us. They're not necessarily ahead of us. We just have different pieces in the puzzle. So we're talking about phases and stages because we need some structure and I think those things are significant but I don't want you to hear it's it's not grades where you're in first grade and then second and then third. You're there's kind of an interplay of all of these things. There's a washing back and forth. Some of you have already borne fruit, which we're saying is the last thing, and you don't even know what your deal is yet. Your card was a question mark, but you've already born. It's there's it's kind of this give and take or forward and back. I, just, I don't want you to get hung up in saying, well, where am I on the chart? That's not helpful. Kind of our theme this year, remember, one is fruit and others do something. And if we're worried about where we are on the chart, it can lock us down and keep us from doing things, either because we feel like we've already done everything there is to do or because we don't know what there is to do. So anyway, I'm going to push play now, and we'll get back to this thing about development. I want us to look at the life of David, and we don't really have time to dig in deep. I would say if you're interested, and it's a great story, 1 Samuel 16 to 2 Samuel 5. It's about 20 chapters. Read it. It's a great story story for someone who knows what their deal is and then goes through this what looks like a just a terrible period of 10 to 15 years before they're actually fully engaged in what they're doing real quick uh, david was the second king of israel most of you maybe know the story saul was a king he did he offended the lord and samuel who was a prophet god told samuel the prophet said i need you to go find the next king go to jesse's house samuel goes to jesse's house i'm here to find the king jesse brings out his first son who looks like a king Samuel thinks, this is the guy. And God says, no, he's not the guy. Second son, no, he's not the guy. Third guy, no, he's not the guy. They go through all his kids. None of them's the guy. Samuel says, you have any more? He says, yeah, I got this other one, my youngest. He's out in the field tending sheep. Samuel says, bring him in. So they bring David in. And God says, he's the guy. And so Samuel anoints David. He pours oil on his head. That's what, that was a symbol of, you're the king. When the prophet poured this oil, he anointed you as the king the only people who saw it were Samuel, Jesse, David, and his brothers. That's it. It was a private ceremony in their house where he was anointed as king. He was probably 15, 16, 17 years old, something like that. That's 1 Samuel 16. In 2 Samuel 5, David's 30, and he becomes publicly the king of Israel. So there's a gap of 10 to 15 years where in our terminology David knew his deal, but he wasn't fully engaged in his deal. He was a 10 out of 10 in his confidence on the card. He knew it. He had the He remembered the oil in his hair and how long it took to get that stuff out. He remembered that. So he's a ten out of ten on confidence. But if I said, Are you engaged? he'd be zero out of ten. Because that ten to fifteen year periods was not exactly a barrel of fun for him. Right off the bat, he kills Goliath. Yay, everybody loves him. But Saul, who's still the king, goes progressively crazier as time passes on, and he has this weird mixture of hatred and jealousy and fear of David. And he makes his life miserable for the next 10, 12, 15 years, whatever that interim period is. We don't know exactly how long it is. Saul makes David's life miserable. David knows he's been anointed as the king, but Saul is still the actual king and he is working David over for 10 to 15 years. It's this development time. There are roots going down in David and there are shoots going up, but if you look at the surface of his life, it's barren. It doesn't look good at all and I wonder if there are people in this room who kind of feel that way or maybe maybe you feel a little bit like this you feel like it's it's good soil I feel like I've done what I was supposed to I don't have huge issues of sin in my life I spend time with the Lord I'm trying to pull the weeds up I feel like it's good soil I feel like I know what my deal is but that's really all I got this kind of scruffy stuff and there's got to be more than this and that might be how you feel and you're getting frustrated Maybe you're thinking about giving up. Maybe you think you've missed it. Something like that. What I would say is just hold on. Just wait and see because there's stuff that's happening. Very well could be stuff that's happening under the surface that will prepare you for the stuff that's going to happen above the surface. That's what was happening with David. Real quick, a couple of things. One of the most important things that happens during this development time is skill acquisition. That doesn't sound very biblical, but listen to this. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around David and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. If you're going to do your deal, there's skills and knowledge that you'll need. And no matter how smart you are and how able you are, there's stuff you don't know and there's stuff you can't do. You need skills. You need knowledge. David was a shepherd. His deal was to be a king. There's a gap there in skills. He had to learn those. And where he learned them was during this 10 to 15 year period where his life really was a wreck. Saul had run him out of the kingdom. He was living in the desert in a cave, running, actually moving from cave to cave because Saul was literally hunting him like a dog with the army of Israel. And the Bible says that these 400 men who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around David. That's a great group of people. In debt, in distress, and discontented. That was David's first shot at leadership. Take this ragged bunch of people and lead them. It says they they were gathered to him and he led them. That's what that's what bridged the skill gap for David. There are awesome things about being a shepherd. It's not the same thing as being a king. you got to learn something. And once you start this, you really don't have a lot of time to... There's not a lot of on-the-job training as a king because your decisions have real consequences. And so what... What God is doing is when David is on the run from Saul, he's gathered this group of people. David's learning how to lead. One of the things that David did with this group is he would lead them on these little military kind of forays, always victorious. If you were a king in Israel, one of, the, one of your jobs was to lead the army. Not like Barack Obama's our commander-in-chief, but he never takes off the coat and the tie. It's not that. This wasn't a figurehead or even just kind of a general from the back. They were like, They had the sword... And they're leading the charge kind of guys. David had to learn how to do that. Again, being a shepherd's awesome, but it doesn't teach you how to lead an army. He learned that during this interim period. During this 10 or 15 years when he was in the desert, he led this ragged group of 400 men who were anything but a professional army. He led them in successful military campaigns. So the two most important skills probably for a king are leadership ability and military ability. And he learned both of those things during this time, there were skills that he needed to get. And the same thing is true for us. You might feel like you're out of the way, that you're off track. You might feel like, you know, you've got this piece down here and then you're working on this piece up here and they don't connect. But it could very well be that what God is doing is he's put you in a position for you to, you're going to school. You're getting the skills and the knowledge that you need to fulfill your deal. I think most of us don't know what we don't know. We think, we, but we don't. We don't know what we don't know and that that's when you have to trust the Lord. You have to trust that He's got you somewhere for a reason. If you believe in providence, that's God's willingness and ability to accomplish His purposes. And you should believe in it. It's biblical. If you believe in that then there needs to be some recognition that where you are, although you might not love it, could still be where God wants you to be. So learn what you need to learn. It's, it's going to school and for some of us it's formal. It's You go to college, and then you go to grad school, or you go to a conference, or you read a book, or you get a mentor. David's wasn't. David's was informal. He didn't get an executive MBA in leadership at night. His was informal. Saul didn't mentor him on how to be a king. Saul's trying to kill him. Everything David learned, he learned by doing. And one is not better than the other. Formal versus informal, it's irrelevant. What matters is, are you getting the knowledge and the skills that you need to do your deal? And you, again, might not fully know what those are, and that's when you have to trust the Lord. So don't despise where you are. It might not be, ultimately, where you want to be, but don't despise it. Because it could be a piece in the puzzle, and you're up here working on this, and you don't realize it's, it's one of these, you're going to need it. You just don't know that you're going to need it yet. Two ditches. I think most people get this concept, it's not that difficult, but two ditches you can fall into. One is people who never graduate. They go to school and they never leave. Eight years, finally finisher, bachelor's degree, maybe you know some folks like that. They never leave. And then when they finish, they say, well, I'm just going to go to graduate school now. I'm going to go get my PhD. You know, they're constantly going back, getting back into training mode, getting back into equipping mode, whatever you want to say. There's stuff you've got to learn for sure. But at some point, you've got to graduate. The point of school is not to stay in school. The point of school is to get you ready for life. And the same thing is true with this kind of school of the Spirit. You're not supposed to be in the classroom forever. He's preparing you to do something. And you may say, well, I don't feel ready. You're never going to feel ready, so get over it. Just do something. You won't know what you don't know until you get out there and realize you don't know it. And then you can go back and learn it. I'm not saying be an idiot or foolhardy. or I'm not, None of that. There's preparation. And some of you, you know what you need to on some level. Maybe you know the first couple of steps. But don't allow the fact that you don't know the third or the fourth to keep you from taking any. At some point, you've got to just do something. you got to graduate. You've got to get out there. And I think the reason a lot of us don't is we're afraid. We're afraid of making the wrong decisions. We're afraid to make a mistake. So we just stay in this constant mode of training, equipping, learning, blah, blah, blah. And we never actually engage our deal. Don't do that. The second, it's not people who never graduate. It's people who never enroll. This can be difficult for our ego most of your deal for most of you the deal that you have it's something that you're good at it lines up with gifts and talents that you have and we said that, well the reason is because your deal fits you perfectly god has created these good works for you for you and he's also knit you together and those two things fit together perfectly and so you're naturally going to be good at your deal most likely it's an area where you're strong it's an area that you enjoy it's probably an area where you're complimented where you're you maybe do a little better than everybody else and what can be difficult if you find am i ringing oh i'm ringing in my own ear if what can be difficult if if you've experienced some success in an area is to hear somebody say get better that can hurt your feelings i don't need to get better I'm already good. My third grade teacher said I was the best speller in the school. That was third grade. It it can be hard to bump up against a ceiling where you realize, you know what, I've got to, what I've done up to this point has been fine, but in order to actually do my, I've got to get better. And that can hurt your feelings, and that can make people pull out. And maybe this is you. When you've bumped up against that, you've left. Well, if you guys don't appreciate me, I'm going to go find somebody who does. Well, if I, don't, if I can't plug in here, I'm going to go find another place where I can plug in, where I can use my gifts and talents, blah, 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 whatever. And I would just say, have your mind open on that. It could very well be that God is saying you need to go back to school. It doesn't mean that anything you've done up to this point, it doesn't lessen anything about what you've done. It's just if you want to, get, if you want to be the king, there's some things that need to happen here. And being a shepherd awesome, but it's not going to get you to be a king. You can be the best shepherd in the history of Israel and be a lousy king. So there's some stuff you've got to learn to get there. And just be humble enough to recognize you're probably not there yet. And even if you feel like, you know what, I've already been to school, well, maybe you need to go back. Again, it's kind of this fluid thing, back and forth. So that's that. Again, I think that's not a big deal for most of us we get. The second thing is a big deal. David's character was formed during his years in the desert. One of the things that sent David to the desert, Saul, who was the king, was going nuts at the time and he would have these kind of fits of insanity and the only thing that would calm him down was David playing the harp. So Saul would go nuts, David would play the harp, Saul would calm down. Three different times when David is playing this harp, Saul gets a spear and hurls it out and tries to kill him. So that's how he thanks him for helping him calm down is he tries to kill him. And David dodges all three. And then ultimately, David's best friend, Jonathan, that's Saul's... Um, son says, you got to get out of here. My dad is crazy and he's going to kill you. And so that's when David leaves the kingdom and lives in the wilderness. But there were even there were other options. There was a time where Saul's, I think it was his second daughter, her name was Michael. David loved her. Saul knew that. He knew David wanted to, loved her, wanted to marry her. And so he said to David, thinking this was going to get David killed, what I want for I guess her, the bride price is I want $100 Foreskins of the Philistines. That's an awesome engagement gift if you're thinking about that. So that's what he tells him to get thinking that he's going to die getting those things. So he doesn't. He comes back with 200 for some reason. He does that. I don't know why he didn't stop with 100, but he comes back with 200. There's another time where he gets frustrated. He's tried to kill David. doesn't work. And he has guys camp out around his house. So when he comes home, he can capture him and kill him. His, Michael, his wife, told him about it and David left. And then Saul spends, again, about 10 years literally hunting him down in the desert. He's not content for him just to be away. He wants him dead. David never spoke a word against Saul. I'm not saying David never threw a spirit. He didn't. He never spoke a word against him. Read that section, 1 Samuel 16 through 2 Samuel 5 and find something. Read the Psalms. There are Psalms that you can see. He'll say, David, written in a cave. That was during this time period. He gripes like crazy to the Lord, but he never complains publicly about Saul. When he, His interactions with Saul are always respectful. God is forming something in his heart about what true authority is. If you're going to be the king, if you're going to have ultimate authority, if you're going to be the guy, you've got to learn godly authority or it will crush you. When you have it, it will kill you, and you'll probably kill other people also. So during this 10 or 15 years when David's living in the desert, God is forming his character so he can stand up when he's doing his deal, so he can withstand the pressures and the temptations of being a king. Never spoke a word against Saul. There were two times, at least, two times in the Bible that we know of where Saul kind of stumbled into a situation where David could have killed him. He wanders in a cave and David's there and David's men are like, God is giving him over to you. Kill him. David, David cuts a little corner off his robe and feels terribly guilty about it. And there's another time that's similar to that. There's these two opportunities that David has to really take matters into his own hands and his men, these 400 discontented, in debt, distressed guys are saying, he, God has given him to you. Take him out. You know you've been anointed king. And he won't. He won't do it. God is forming something in David about patience and trust in waiting on the Lord. Two times David could have taken matters into his own hands. That was the momentum of the situation. And both times he said, you know what? Saul's the king. Saul's the king until God makes Saul not the king. I'm not going to do anything about that. That's not my thing. I'm, I'm the king in waiting as long as there's a king. There's only one king in Israel. And it's Saul. And I'm not going to touch God's anointed one. He's saying that about a guy who tried to kill him. It, It doesn't work in our brains, but that's what God had done in his heart. He so understood authority, he understood submission, he understood trust, he understood patience, he had this deep abiding faith in the Lord. Even when everything looked like a desert on top, there was all this stuff happening underneath. God was preparing him for his deal. And if David had short-circuited that, he'd have looked like just about every other king in Israel and Judah who screwed up messed up in a huge way instead we have this king who god says that's that's who you want that's a guy after my own heart that's what i'm looking for so all that to say this skills knowledge that's you got to have that you got to know how to lead if you're going to be the king for sure but you can never outrun your character ever your character is the foundation that the house of your life is built on and if it is shaky the whole thing is going to crash It's either going to crash because of temptation. It's going to crash because a storm comes. It's going to crash from the sheer weight of what you've built. But it will crash. We've said it a thousand times. We live out of our hearts. What's in here comes out. And it comes out at the most unfortunate times for us. When you're squeezed. Everybody's fine when they're on vacation. When you're squeezed is when you really know what's in your heart. And God will take you through it. In order to, for you to see what's in there, the thing about this character development that's going on is God uses sandpaper most of the time. Saul on David. it's unfortunate it's situations that we don't like that press us that cause us to see what's really going on. So almost by definition, when God is doing this work in your life, this work of character development, you're not going to enjoy it because he's putting you in a he's squeezing you, he's rubbing off. The rough edges. And it's usually with situations and people that you don't like. If you liked them, everything would be fine. And it's not that they're godly. It doesn't matter. Saul was wicked. It didn't matter. God used him anyway to shape and form David. When we see this in our life all the time, my line of work, it seems like almost every week, some guy has wrecked his church, ruined his marriage, destroyed lives because of sexual immorality. If you follow sports at all, the past couple of weeks, what's the headline? Alex Rodriguez. Most people would say one of the most talented baseball players in the history of the game took steroids for at least three years that we know of. He's ruined it. Every time you see his name, it's going to say, admitted steroid user, Alex Rodriguez. It doesn't matter what he said he did before. It doesn't matter what he said he did after. He's a cheater. And whatever the character flaw was there, whether it was Greed or envy or lack of self-control or whatever, the whole house came crashing down. Y'all remember the Martha Stewart thing a few years ago? Martha Stewart does this questionable stock trade, saves her $50,000. That's a lot of money. Except she was worth a billion. That for us, if you earned $50,000 last year, just to give you a comparison, she risked going to jail, that 50000 that she saved. She actually wound up going to jail for it. That's the same thing as any of us who earned $50,000, $2.50. It's a half gallon of milk. You going to go to jail over that? Whatever that was in her that caused her to do that, it's a character flaw. Again, I don't know what it is, if it's greed or because she was competitive or I don't know what it was. It doesn't matter. It was a character flaw and it was exploited at the worst possible time. And she paid huge consequences for $2.50 relative to us. You cannot outrun your character. The way the enemy works, he's been tempting people like me and you for thousands and thousands of years, and he's really good at it, to stick with this picture. It's a seed. There's a little seed that gets planted in there at some point, usually over something pretty insignificant. A lot of times it's not even something that's your fault. It's something that was done to you. And it's this little seed gets dropped into the soil of your heart, and you don't pull it out for whatever reason maybe because you don't want to, maybe because you think it's going to be embarrassing, you don't want to, whatever, you don't pull it out. And over time it grows, and it's, it's a weed, it's not a big deal, it's not pretty to look at, but it's just a weed, and you've got all this other stuff going on. And again, for whatever reason, you don't pull it out. Usually it's pride, usually because you don't want to be embarrassed, you don't want to have to talk about this thing that you think is big and ugly, and all of that. It's bigger in your head than it is in real life. And so you don't talk about it. You think, well, I can I can deal with it on my own, and maybe... Occasionally you can chop the weed down, but you don't pull it out by the root, so it continues to grow. And over time, that weed, the roots get deeper and deeper into your heart, stronger and stronger, and the weed grows, and eventually it's an oak tree, and it comes crashing down on your house. And it does it in the most public way possible. The enemy, it's maximum damage. And he can do a lot more damage with an oak tree than he can with a sapling. And so he'll bide his time, and he'll wait and he'll wait, and he'll wait, and he'll wait, and he'll let the roots of that thing get deeper and bigger, and the trunk fatter and taller. And then at the worst time, when, you're the, when you just signed the biggest contract in the history of Major League Baseball, when you're the president of this empire that you built from nothing, when you're the pastor of the church of 10,000 people, and you're, you're going to the White House, and you're meeting with President Bush, that's when it's going to crash. Because it wipes out the most people. It's maximum damage. And it's all because those guys at some point didn't pull out a weed. You cannot outrun your character. So, all that to say, if you feel like you're banging up against it, you know you're a 10 out of 10, you know what God wants for you, but you're not engaging it fully, it could very well be that there's something that's got to come out of you or something that's got to go into you. And in His mercy, He's not letting you get ahead. It's His mercy. He doesn't want you to go ahead with a shaky foundation because the whole thing's going to crumble. It's going to. You read the paper. It does it every, every day. We see this happening. And so He's got you. He's pulling the reins back, possibly, in order to do some work in your character. So ultimately, when you're doing your deal, when you're David and you're the king, you can handle it. And we know David screwed up huge. But we also saw his heart and the way he handled that as well. So anyway, that's character transformation, character development. A couple of quick things and then we're going to wrap up. I already said this. Don't despise where you are. Most of us, we don't know what we don't know. And most of us don't know ourselves very well. And that's when you've got to trust the Lord. Just don't cherry pick your opportunities. Don't cherry pick your experiences. Wherever God has you, get what you can get. If there are things that he wants you to learn, then learn them so you can move on. If there's character shaping that needs to happen, then let it happen. Go through the pain and then be done with it. Don't keep going back over the same stuff over and over again. Get it and go. So don't despise where you are. The other thing I would say is recognize timing is important. We talked about this when we looked at Joseph back in January. These two years that he's forgotten in jail where he seems forsaken actually turn out it's perfect. The the point for Joseph, his deal, was to be in Egypt so he could... Administer this food program so his family wouldn't die. So God could carry on his promise to Abraham. Now, what if Joseph gets let out gets let out two weeks or two months before Pharaoh has this dream? Who's there to interpret? Who's there to plan ahead? Again, it's God's able to work all of these pieces out. Even the fact that a cupbearer forgets about Joseph, it it still works out. So timing is important. Don't get impatient. I want to continue to encourage you to do something. And even as I say that, recognize that timing is important as well. And so there could be, there just might be some issues there. And ultimately, you'll be able to see the picture. And the last thing I want to say is just because you don't see a lot on the surface doesn't mean you need to be passive. There's a ton of stuff going on underground in all of these vases. And there could be a ton of stuff happening in your heart. And just because you don't see fruit yet... Don't get frustrated, and don't let that fool you into being passive. The parable of the talents—you know the parable. There's a rich man, and he gives a hundred dollars to one person, two hundred to another, and five hundred to another, and says, "Go do something with this." And the five hundred guy comes back with a thousand dollars, and the two hundred guy comes back with four hundred dollars, and the one hundred guy comes back with one hundred dollars. He just buried it, and that king's not happy with that guy. He didn't do anything with what he'd been given. The two guys that did stuff with what they're being given. King's thrilled with them. He doesn't care that one's 1,000 and one's 400. What he cares about is you did something with what you got. That's You have something. There's something. There are good works God's created for you. There's, a, there's something in your heart. And I don't want you to be passive about it. Just bury it and say, well, maybe next week or next year when I figure things out or when I graduate or when after we have this baby or after I get... No. Don't be passive. I used this example earlier. So let's say my deal is to be a worship leader. I'm going to use that just because we all know what that is. And that's my deal. I told the guys at nine, if you've ever sat next to me, you would probably say that's not my deal. I'm, um, I think what technically is called tone deaf. I think I sound good, but nobody else thinks I sound good. So I go with majority opinion on that and say I'm tone deaf. So let's just say I'm not. And my deal is to lead worship. That's my talent. That's what God has give. That's my seed. That's the talent. He's whatever you want to say. So I can carry a tune and I can sing and all of that stuff. There's still skills that need to be, I need, I've gotta learn how to play this thing. Or I gotta learn how to play, I gotta learn something. And I can pray for 10 years that God would make me a good guitar player, but unless I pick this thing up, it's not happening. I gotta pick it up and get bloody fingers and calluses and go to the lesson. I gotta do that. I gotta learn how to play this thing. There's skills and knowledge involved. I gotta learn how to read music or whatever else the guys, I've gotta learn that stuff. There's skills and knowledge involved in leading worship. And there's character transformation that has to happen. And I've got to be fine being in front of people, but not allowing the spotlight to be on me. I've got to recognize that the point of leading worship is to lead people in the presence of God, not into the presence of me. And so there's character stuff that has to happen. And maybe it happens in six months, and maybe it happens in six years, and you know, maybe the way it works out in my life is not exactly what I thought of. Whatever. That's just this. But I can't be passive. This will never happen. There's just going to be a... There are no pieces. We've said before, God gave Joseph success in everything Joseph did. That's a, we've got to give him something to work with. We've got to give him pieces that he can put together. So you've got to be doing something, even if everything that's going on is going on under the surface. That can seem contradictory, but it's not. Recognizing that you're, you're allowing God to build this picture, to put the pieces together... Even if all the work is under the surface, you're learning the skills. You're getting the knowledge. The character in you is being developed. So then when things actually do start happening, when Saul does die and and they say, okay, you're the king now, David, you're ready. You're ready for that day. Let's pray. You guys can come back up. Y'all can stand.